0: Amen. Uh, kids up through fifth grade, uh, you are uh, dismissed to your classrooms as you're heading there. The rest of us, let's continue in worship by turning in our Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel 8. First Samuel is the ninth book in the Old Testament right after Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. And then you'll find 1 Samuel there. You're going to want to be there um, this morning, if you have a Bible, uh, whether on your phone or in a book, uh, go ahead and turn there. And as you're turning there, I just want to wish you a hearty, uh, happy one year until the ple- presidential election, everyone. Uh, I know we're just all waiting with bated breath. We cannot wait to get there. You know, it's like Christmas. You're just like, oh, man, we can't wait to get there. And I say that somewhat sarcastically. Um, we know that election season in our country is uh, genuinely, generally uh, not very much fun to endure, um, so uh, a couple weeks ago, our whole staff was blessed to be able to attend uh, the Gospel Coalition Conference in Indianapolis, and one of the breakout sessions I went to was how pastors can help their church navigate this kind of current political and cultural climate that we're in, and one of the just practical pieces of, of advice that uh, one of the speakers gave us, uh, what he said, well, just uh, November 5th is going to be one year before the election on a Sunday, so just take that uh, occasion to preach a sermon about how the church should think about these things. And I thought, okay, I can do that. And here we are. Um, I got to admit, though, it's been a little bit of a struggle for me um, this week uh, uh, as I've thought about these things on a couple of levels. First of all, uh, we are in a battle and I, I, in our home, I'm not talking about a spiritual battle, I'm talking about a physical battle uh, between flesh and blood. Um, we are battling fleas and mice right now uh, in the Nafziger home in a big way. And uh, so we thought uh, um, that uh, we had, were winning the war. And uh, last night we found out there had been a counter-offensive mounted against us that... Uh, <laughs> we were not prepared for, and we are seeding we are territory quickly in the Nafziger household. So um, this has been where my mind has been at. Uh, kind of had a little bit of a breaking point last night, if I'm completely honest. Um, and uh, so, I, uh, yeah. So that's what I've been thinking about the last week. And so I've struggled um, just in terms of that. And then I've also just struggled. Uh, I'm just not a political or politically minded person at all. I like try to keep up on the news because I feel a little bit because I feel like I should uh, with the role that I'm in. But it's just not my natural bent at all. Other people really like to read about politics and know what's going on. Not me, necessarily. And then thirdly, just when it comes to this pulpit, like, I've always struggled, I've talked about this before, just to kind of know how and when to speak into certain political issues and current events, and I've all, I, I mean, I take this pulpit very seriously, like right here is where I get to stand and have the privilege to speak about the greatest truths in the universe revealed to us in God's word. And so I don't want to just like sully this pulpit by just talking about whatever the political topic of the day is. Uh, but I also don't want to shrink back from saying what God has called me to say. And so um, we need to talk about this. And, and yet yeah, you see me scratching my head. It's because I was just talking about the fleas and it like, <laughs> it just gets in your head. I don't know. I can't stop thinking about it. So, man. Um, Okay, so, but, like, uh, we need to talk about this this morning, uh, but to put my cards on the table right away, uh, I don't really care who you vote for in the upcoming election. I'm not, we're not talking about the candidates and who are the pros and cons and that kind of thing. I, I don't care about who you vote for, but I do care who you put your trust in uh, in the upcoming election, and so this sermon isn't really as much about political issues or candidates Uh, It's going to be about, uh, it's a sermon about self-sufficiency, and that's a story we're going to read about in 1 Samuel 8, and it's about who we put our trust in and how we can be salt and light as a church in a time that we just have no idea. We literally have no clue what's going to come. I was somebody, I was reading somebody talking about this this week. They're saying, imagine if in like the fall of 2019, somebody was trying to say, you know, what the next year was going to be like in the lead up to the 2020 election. They would have, COVID happened and the George Floyd things happened in our country, just like crazy things were happening all the time. In the fall of 2019, they had no idea. Um, And the same is true now. We have no idea what's to come. And so it would be pointless, I think, to really talk about what do we think is going to come. But what we can talk about is the unchanging one who we can put our faith in um, no matter what. And so uh, this is a great story. In 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 to 9, I'm going to read it. And then uh, we're going to pray and talk about it a little bit. So look there with me. It says this When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. And then he says these scary things. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Let's pray. Father, I come to you this morning. And I agree uh, with Mike when he's talking about we all uh, have our own issues uh, that we're walking in here this morning with. Um, And um, we all need you, God, desperately. Whether we realize it or not. There's some in here this morning who realize how desperately they need you. There are others in here this morning who don't realize just how desperately they need you. And God, all of us in one way or another struggles with self-sufficiency. We want to be on the throne. We want to be calling the shots. We want to be in control. We want to trust in the things that we can see. We want to trust in the things that make sense to us, God. And yet following Jesus means giving up on self-sufficiency. And actually living out those words that we just sang, in Christ alone, my hope is found. Oh God, how often in my heart do I want to say, in Christ and fill in the blank, my hope is found. God, that's how I live my life so so often. So we confess to you this morning our desire uh, for a king like the nation's. And we ask instead, God, that we would truly find our hope in Christ alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title of this sermon is A King Like the Nations. That's what Israel is asking for here in 1 Samuel 8. And uh, this event that we just read, it it maybe doesn't come clearly across the first time we read it, but when Israel, uh, the elders of Israel go to Samuel and ask him to appoint a king like the nations, this is just uh, like spitting in the face of God is what they're doing here. Uh, This is Israel saying, enough with your way, God. We want to do it our way. But to to understand that, to see it, we need to get a sense of what has been going on in Israel's history up until this point. God has delivered Israel miraculously out of slavery in Egypt. He made a covenant with them on Mount Sinai, and he's taken them into the promised land where they now well, And a couple years ago, it's been over two years now, I can't believe it, but we went through the book of Judges together. Many of you were here for that. And we saw this downward spiral in the book of Judges of rebel, repent. And repeat. You guys remember that? Rebel, repent, repeat. The people of Israel would rebel against God, and then they would uh, God would bring judgment on them for that. And then they would come to their senses and repent of their sin. And then when things got good again, they would fall right back into that cycle and and repeat it. And so, uh, it, but it was kind. Of, it wasn't like always up and down. It was it was this up and down cycle that had a downward trend. If you remember. And so that's what's happening right before the book of 1 Samuel is is that. And so you remember the very last chapter of Judges and uh, one of the biggest uh, pastoral mistakes I've made to date is when we did church on the farm a couple years ago, which is just our happiest day, Sunday as a church, and I preached on the last two chapters of Judges, which are literally the darkest chapters in all of Scripture. It was, just, it was a little bit nauseous, like, I, okay, not doing that again, but um, it, it was important to see, and what happened at the very end of that book, you remember the last, does anyone remember, the, this is a good trivia question, the last words of the book of Judges, and everyone did... Good job. My wife got it right. Good job, Emily. Others you do, but she was in the front row, and so I could hear better. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, Things were bad. And so the book of 1 Samuel picks up where that story left off, and we see a glimmer of hope. We see some light at the very beginning. Samuel is born, and he grows up as this great and wise leader For Israel, and at the same time that Samuel is growing up as this great and wise Israel, the Philistines are rising to power as Israel's arch nemesis. Then Israel and the Philistines end up going to battle, and this is where it it starts to get important for what we're talking about this morning. Israel decides rather than praying to God and asking that God would make them victorious in the battle. Instead, they decide their best strategy, their best battle plan, was to bring out the Ark of the Covenant like it was some sort of like magical object that would just automatically give them victory over their opponents. And so they, they put their trust in this object rather than in God, And so what happens is that uh, Israel is soundly defeated and the ark is stolen. And so now the Philistines have the ark, which is just uh, catastrophic. Uh, And so what the Philistines do is super offensive. They bring the ark into the temple of their pagan gods and they start worshiping this ark like it's going to give them some sort of magical power. And uh, so what happens is God brings plagues on the Philistines, and they realize, oh man, I think it's because we got this ark here, and so... Uh, they try to figure out what to do and they bring their kind of like sorcerer people and they say, what should we do? And they say, well, take the ark and uh, hook it up to a couple of milk cows and just send it on its way and see where it goes. And so that's what they do. And those two milk cows go straight back to the camp where Israel is and the ark um, returns. God miraculously directs the ark back to them. And so... Um, That is where we're at. That's kind of an overview of the first seven chapters of the book of 1 Samuel. And so the lesson they should have learned was very simply this. Obedience to the Lord is infinitely more powerful than any display of military strength or, or anything else. Obedience to the Lord, trust in the Lord is infinitely more powerful than anything else. And so what they do actually at the end of chapter 7 is uh, the people of Israel have repented and uh, they had all these foreign gods that they were worshiping. Uh, rather than uh, the one true God, and so they get rid of all these foreign gods, and they start worshiping God again, and so First Samuel chapter 8 uh, begins at this place uh, where Israel has come back to the Lord, God has miraculously uh, fought their battle for them, and, um, and now they've come back to the Lord, and uh, how long do you think that lasted? Not very long, that's, that's kind of how it always goes with Israel's. right? When things start going good, they go bad again. And so uh, you see First Samuel chapter 8, I'm going to read the first few verses again. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. And uh, so Samuel's getting old, and he makes a bad decision, because his sons are not uh, high character people, and he decides that they're going to be the judges over Israel, and it goes uh, really bad, uh, this is the biblical term for that. And uh, all the, so then all the, Israels are, all the elders of Israel are uh, mortified by what's happening, and so they come together, and they come to Samuel, and they say, you're getting old, and your son's are getting crazy. Um, and then uh, they're not walking in your ways. And then they ask this now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. And say it's time for someone else. And, and in one sense, they've accurately assessed the situation. Like if they continue on with their current leadership, things are going to go bad for Israel. And so they, need, they know something needs to change, and so their solution is that they wanted a king. They wanted a king. Now, wanting a king wasn't technically a bad thing, God's law even had some provisions for them to have a king. Uh, uh, so wanting a king wasn't technically a sin. However, the problem was in their hearts, Notice what they didn't say when they came to Samuel asking for a king. They didn't say, "...appoint for us a king who will seek after you with all his heart and teach us to follow the ways of Yahweh." Samuel, give us a king who's going to help us uphold the law and follow after God with our whole hearts." Give us a king who's going to make sure that we don't worship any of these false idols anymore and who's going to keep our worship pure. That is not the kind of king that they asked for. That is the kind of king that the law gave provision for. But they looked around at their enemies and they said, we want a king like they have. We want a king like all the nations so they've gone from worshiping the gods of the nations to now wanting a king like the nations. They looked around and they see these nations around them. They see uh, the Philistines who they're still afraid of. and uh, they, they, All these nations have a tall, strong, powerful leader who is going to intimidate the, their enemies and lead them in battle. And so they look around and they like, they're like, I want something like that. And the Lord, as he does, diagnoses their problem immediately. Look at verse 7. It says this. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They haven't rejected you They've rejected me. This is the same problem that they had when rather than asking God for God's help in the battle against the Philistines, they said, let's just bring the ark out in front of us because that is going to work. That's going to be what's most effective. And now uh, they're not trying that, but now their next strategy is, well, let's have a king like them. Um, We don't need to ask for God's help. We just need a king like the other nations. So what they're saying is, deep down, we would rather not... Trust God. What we want to see is a tall, handsome, strong champion who's going to intimidate the other nations and defend us and protect us. We would rather put our trust in someone like that, someone like the other nations have, than Yahweh. And, church, <laughs> is this not the struggle of all of our lives? Like the, maybe the number one struggle. We can look at the promises of God to protect us and defend us and take care of us and provide for us and say, yeah, 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 those promises are nice, but I want something I can see. I want something that I can see right in front of me. I want to build up my bank account. I want to make sure my life is set up just right. I want to make sure I never have to step one inch outside of my comfort zone. I want to place my trust in the things I can see right in front of me. I don't want to have to trust God. I would rather trust in myself. This is so convicting to me, church. And the reason we're talking about this morning is because I think this is the primary temptation for believers in our current political climate. When Israel looked around, they saw some scary dudes. The Philistines were scary. They were bloodthirsty. They wanted to destroy Israel. And in the same way that Israel could look around and see some legitimate Enemies. We as the church can look around and see some scary things too. I was just talking to my mom yesterday. We're in Ohio, and there's all these signs about issue one all over the place. And uh, they're voting in a few days on abortion rights. And uh, according to what my mom said, the results of that vote could open the door for abortion all the way to birth. And this is like on the ballot, right? So there's uh, there's real things. There are scary things, there are important things, there are things of consequence that are going on around us and this is just one of many issues. And I think in this climate it's super tempting to say in our hearts to God, yes, I know you're in control, but we've got this one, God. Like, we, I know what we need. We need a strong leader who's going to crush all our enemies. And if we don't get that, we're going to lose everything. So I'm going to watch hours and hours of cable news and worry and be angry all the time and talk about with my friends how our country's in huge trouble and how we're, if we don't get the right people in office, like, we're all doomed. Like, man, I just see this attitude. And I just, I hate it. I hate that mentality. I'm sorry. I'm not, minim, I'm not minimizing the evil in our culture at all. I'm just saying we need to trust that God is still in control, even in the face of great evil. We talked about this in our Heavens series, right? Philippians 3, 18 to 20. I think it's on your screen, yeah. For many... Paul says, of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with set on earthly things. And there's just no denying, this is true. There are many people, many people in politics who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So what's the anim- a- antidote to that? Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, church. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And my biggest fear for us in the next year, and this is like just what I want us to remember, whatever happens this next year, my biggest fear is we're going to forget verse 20. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. And from it, we await whom? A Savior. Where's our Savior, church? Where? Yeah. God does not make one single promise in His word to protect and preserve America. Not one. It's not in there. But He does promise to protect and preserve our church, the church. And we live in America, and we have a citizenship here, but our primary citizenship is in heaven. And so that's where your first, that's what matters. So like I said, I don't care who you vote for on election day. I, uh, we got r- right now <laughs> the two leading candidates. We got uh, two old guys, one who uh, who's, has policies that should be appalling to Christians, the other one who has a pattern of infidelity and other character issues that should be appalling to Christians, and you're, we're all going to fall on different sides of, well, what, what's, what's the lesser of two evils? Do we vote third party? Do we abstain from voting? I don't, I'm so uninterested in that. Man, what I care about far, far more than that is what's your attitude. Because what the Garden of Eden reveals to us is that our greatest issues are not political issues, they are heart issues. Our greatest issues are hearts that are prone to go after foreign gods and worship in their temples, which means the solution to our greatest issues, it's not a political solution, it's a heart solution. As a quote, uh, David Sluka told me uh, this quote that he heard. He doesn't remember where he heard it from, uh, but it's so good. I have it on the screen. What if the greatest barrier to the spread of the gospel today is not the self-indulgent immorality of our culture, but the self-sufficiency in our churches? Dang. I mean, come on. What if the greatest barrier to the spread of the gospel today is not the self-indulgent immorality of our culture, but the self-sufficiency in our churches? Oh, man. I think one of our biggest problems is we see a self-indulgent immorality in our culture. And so we respond and say, well, we got to do something about that. Evil is not ours to avenge. It is the Lord's. And so in America, as American citizens, we're called to be good citizens, and part of that is voting for who we think is the best person to lead us. Um, but almost, we should do that, and we should do that prayerfully, um, and we should take it seriously. But we should also have an attitude that uh, walks out of there whenever you vote and says, like, oh man, I'm glad that this is not the future of our country, <laughs> of our world. God is the one who is in control. And we have become so self-sufficient. And uh, I think it starts um, in our churches. God, I don't want to trust you. I want to trust myself. I want to trust a political savior. Someone who's promising to make all these problems go away. I want to trust whatever. Fill in the blank. I mean, what do you struggle to trust in that is not the Lord. It is so easy for self-sufficiency to creep its way into your life. And you know what the best diagnosis is? See if you are being self-sufficient right now? How's your prayer life? (laughs) Am I praying? I have done hours and hours of research about how to get rid of these stupid fleas in my house. I haven't done a whole lot of praying about it. (laughs) And that's just fleas, right? And now mice. I am gonna start praying about that. But how much more important is it us for us to just pray for these things? Oh man, we get so bound up in what do I think about this? What am I, what's gonna happen when this happens? What's gonna happen if this person gets elected or what's gonna happen if this person gets reelected or whatever or, man, am I on my knees? Asking God to move and then asking God to help me trust him rather than anything else. When we don't pray, we try to handle things on our own. We're just telling God, I've got this. I don't need you. I've got another way to do it. Thank you, but no thanks. And if that's our attitude, like why would we expect him to work in mighty ways among us? We're not even asking him to tell you what, one of my uh, I think biggest, I don't know, if regrets, but just think uh, over the past couple of years uh, as your pastor is uh, long before COVID, we used to meet once a month and do second Sunday prayer, and, and we'd have a time of prayer and worship. We'd get on our knees together, it was just once a month. Um, it was really important, and then COVID happened, and, and we stopped doing it, and you tell you what, I mean, what's a diagnosis for self-sufficiency in our church? Well, why was that not the very first thing that we started doing again, right? Maybe thought we were okay. (laughs) Wasn't the most important thing. Oh God, forgive me, forgive us for our prayerlessness. I have so many dreams for our church. I know you do too. But if we're not radically dropping our self-sufficiency and truly going before the Lord, like what can we expect? So I don't know what the details are exactly, but I know like that's got to change. Like we got to get on our knees more. We got to pray. Because when we don't pray, when we decide we can take matters into our own hands, politically or financially or in relationships or in security or in mice and fleas or in whatever, like when we think we can take matters into our own hands, we're saying, God, we don't want you anymore. We just want a king like all the other nations. They seem like they have it pretty good. That's what I want. And that is not why Jesus came. In fact, when Jesus was taken in front of Pilate right before he was crucified. Pilate asked him if he was trying to be the king and build a kingdom. And listen to what Jesus' response was. It's on your screen, John 18, 36. Jesus answered, "'My kingdom is not of this world. "'If my kingdom were of this world, "'my servants would have been fighting "'that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, "'but my kingdom is not from the world.'" And oh man, sometimes we fight like our kingdom is of this world rather than fighting like our kingdom is of another world. We are fighting, but it is in a fundamentally different way than the world fights because we are in a kingdom that is otherworldly and our king is Jesus. Israel said, we want a king like all the nations. Jesus said, I'm not a king like all the nations. That's the whole point. Church. Do you realize the opportunity you have in front of you this next year? I've been, talking, I'm been dreading the election cycle that we're about to go into. Do you realize the opportunity we have to share the gospel? When the whole world around you is freaking out about the election and what's going to happen, you can do the same thing and act like your entire future lies in the hands of whoever occupies uh, the White House, or you could live like your eternal future lies in the hands of the one who occupies the heavens. Amen. Who placed the stars in the sky, who spoke the universe into existence who changes times and seasons, who removes kings and sets up kings, and who gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the understanding. Church, we just have to laugh when people say that this is our whole fate of our world depends on this election, because that's what they say every four years. And the Bible says, well, actually, God is the one who sets up kings and deposes kings, and he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the, un- to the understanding. So if we can live like our eternal future is with our eternal king who is in the heavens, who one day will come back and make all things new and all things right. And if we can live like he's given us a mission to go and make disciples of all the nations, if we can live like that, man, what an opportunity we're going to have in this next year. Church, if you're going to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you, you know what you need to have first? A hope in you (laughs) that is beyond whatever you see on Fox News or MSNBC or whatever. If you're going to be prepared to share the hope that's in you, have a hope in Jesus, making all things new and all things right. Oh, man, let's not be afraid, church. Church. How weak does that, I mean, what kind of a weak God does that portray if we are just in constant fear of the changing times and seasons? Our God is so much bigger than that. We have a faith that is sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Jesus is our King. And he didn't come to build a kingdom like the nations. He didn't promise to preserve our country, the borders that we live in now. But what we do have right now is an opportunity to spread the gospel with the people who live here. And what he did promise is that he would preserve his church for eternity. And what a better promise, amen? So we're gonna have some promise peddlers over the next year. They're gonna try to sell you everything. and. Uh, we don't have to listen to them. We don't have to be afraid of them. Pray, do our best on November 5th, you know, well, good luck. And, uh, and then we're gonna walk out of there and we are going to continue to trust the same king that we've had and that we will have for eternity who does not change every four years. Amen? Amen, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, God, I confess to you right now, um, just a self-sufficiency in ministry, in my life, and uh, in thinking about um, just the world around me, God. And I recognize the temptation to say, "Oh, what if we just had someone who could just just a someone who could fix all these things?" And, um, and yet, what we have is Jesus. <laughs> whose kingdom is not of this world. And we are citizens of heaven. And from that citizenship, we await our Savior. Thank you that Jesus came. Thank you that we don't have to be afraid. Thank you that you are the same yesterday and today and forever. And you're the same and. 2012 and 2016 and 2020 and 2024 and so on and so on. So in our lives, God, may we resist the temptation of self-sufficiency. May we resist the temptation of prayerlessness. Make us more dependent on you, God. Right now, God. May we be a light to our neighbors, to the nations of the hope that we have in Jesus. We pray these things in his precious and mighty name. Amen.